Hello, hello, hello. This is Chris and Eric's Songbox Adventure. I'm Chris. And I am Eric. Usually, every week, we pick a specific topic to dive into and discuss every little thing about. This week, we are not doing that. Instead, we're just talking a little bit about, like, 40 different things. Because this is our year one in review, uh, the podcast is reaching its first anniversary, And we're going to have the opportunity to just sort of reflect on everything we've read up so far, our time recording, and largely do that through the time-honored tradition of a podcast award show with awards that aren't real, trophies that don't exist, and us just taking the excuse to talk about things that we liked and in a couple cases did not like. Should we call them no prizes? Sure! I can't think of any other podcast that's done that yet. These are the long box no prizes, everyone. Yeah, welcome to the no prizes. As you can tell before on air, we had not come up with any sort of kitschy, cute little award title. But yeah, these are the no prizes on account of we don't have awards to give and we're not really qualified to give them, but we're doing it anyway. Welcome to the uh, long box no prize award show where the prizes are made up and the points don't matter. And the categories will surely vary from year to year as we find different random bullshit to obsess over. In our first year, we had 40 episodes worth of material, more or less 40 different comics to talk about, depending how you want to count some like volume twos and things like that. But yeah, a whole year of me making you read things, you making me read things. I guess the opening question is, Do you regret placing yourself in a position where I was able to make you read things? In almost all cases, no. You did make me read Heartbreakers. You mean Heartbroken Angels? Heartbroken Angels. Why did I call it Heartbreakers? It broke your heart, personally. Ah, (laughs) You made me read that. That's the one I regret the most. Me too. And the thing being, we only talked about it for like 10 minutes. It was was a powerful, angry 10 minutes. (laughs) And it was recent enough that the pain is still real. It's very fresh. Like, there's a couple other things I didn't really enjoy, but, like, at least those were a little longer ago. I take it less personally. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, that's a spoiler for something we'll be talking about in a less flattering light later. We'll start off with things we did like. Yeah. Um, in this first year, we covered, like I said, about 40 different things... I think, I don't know about you, I'm pretty happy with the variety we got because we managed to touch on American, Japanese, and British comics. We got our first web comics in. We covered stuff from every decade since the 1960s, plus one from the 30s. We tried to be a little bit diverse in our reading, cover all sorts of things, and I think we worked it out pretty well. Yeah, I think the one note is I need to bring some more British comics to the table. Yeah, that'd be fun. I'll try at some point to bring in something from, like, another country that we haven't yet in the coming year as well. Yeah, because, like, I think aside from one... Well, aside from the Doctor Who stuff, I didn't bring anything from Britain. And even then, one of those Doctor Who books is an American comic, technically. Yeah. We gave Turf Island at least a little moment once. (sighs) Yeah. 
well, I've got to do, like, some Captain Britain, and I've got to do... I've got to do Judge Dredd at some point. I'm morally obligated, as someone who is from that island, to bring in Judge Dredd and the Beano. We should do the Beano. What is the Beano? Um, okay, do you know Dennis the Menace? Yes. Okay, yeah, not that one. The British one with the black hair and the red and black striped sweater. Because it's, like, literally just another character named Dennis, but just looks different, right? It's just Beano, what they call the British one. Yeah, well, it's it's a comedy mag for kids, and each one is essentially just, like, short comedy comics with, like, a, a set of characters. There's, there's, like, a bunch of them. Dennis the Menace and Minnie the Minx, the ones I'm remembering off the top of my head right now. I read them as a kid, obviously, because a lot of British media was consumed here. But yeah, yeah, that's 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 something classic that we should do. They're very well beloved over over on Turf Island. There's like statues and everything. Okay, but yeah, turning away from future plans, back to retrospection. Our first category for the long box no prizes 2023 is best writer. Would you like to go ahead and go first in listing out your nominees and why they stuck out for you? Uh, yeah, so I nominated... Um, my first nominee was Rachel Pollock for writing uh, the Doom Patrol that we covered this year. I mean, we covered this really recently. Go back, listen to the episode. We spent the whole time gushing about that comic, pretty much. It's just, like, a really great example of incorporating, like, queer themes you know, political talking points and narratives into a, I wouldn't call Doom Patrol a traditional superhero comic by any means, but, like, that kind of a narrative. Yeah, like, it is still a Kate book, technically. Yeah, and it's filled to the brim with just, like, wild inventive ideas in terms of just, like, doing silly Doom Patrol stuff, which, like, very few people can make that work. And she absolutely knocks it out of the park on that one. Um, I also nominated uh, Jonathan Hickman for writing X-Men number four specifically. <laughs> the first three issues of the series are very good, but they wouldn't. But X-Men number four, again, very similarly, it's a very political book. That one is the issue that takes place at the World Economic Conference. And there's so many like clever lines. The incorporation of the action element while still not like distracting from the fact that really the book is just about getting Magneto, Apocalypse, and Xavier to sit down in front of these humans and tell them how they're going to use, like, the systems of capitalism against them. It's so good. It's an all-time great single X-Men issue. Yeah, there's very few that, like, come up to that. One of them is by Jonathan Hickman three issues later, but <laughs> there's very few other ones that come that close. Which one are you thinking of? The Mystique issue or... Crucible. Crucible, yeah. Although the Mystique issue is also up there. I'm like, that, even, the, the Vault is, like, a good issue, but, like, those three are just so good. Yeah. Uh, and then, finally, I actually nominated Cena Grace for his Iceman run, another X-Men book. Uh, that's because I found reading that book so addictive, I wound up reading the entire series, and also his follow-up, like, relaunch of the book that happened, like, a year later, all in one sitting. If you write something where I wind up, like, I'm reading these issues for a podcast that I'm recording tomorrow, and I just read the whole damn thing in one go. You did a pretty good job. Yeah, assigned you five, and you read the full, like, 16. Yeah. All right, and uh, go ahead with your nominees. So I nominated Ron Zimmerman for the Rawhide Kid Slap Lever. 
that series is especially special to me for many a reason. Just like the generational love of the character between me and my dad. As we established when we talked about it, I have the Rawhide Kid tattoo. With that specific book and what Zimmerman does, I just think it does a brilliant job of like just reinventing the character and really playing with the idea of like a effectively mythical Western character and a gay character and sort of finding the middle ground and what it would mean to be just this limp-wristed best shot in the West. New listeners, I'm allowed to say that. It's very funny. It has some excellent George Bush humor. It has both just like effective comedy and pathos and is just something really unique all around. So I nominate that. I nominate Ayakano for Requiem of the Rose King for excellent character writing, a really interesting premise, well-paced, well-executed, and just like how effectively it draws upon source material with the Shakespeare plays while reinventing the characters in a new context and sort of using the base historical and dramatical record as a building off point for a really unique and affecting sort of new fresh take going forward. And my final nominee is Billy Bolly Bolly for the series Fangs, which I love. It's gay porn, so it's more up my alley than yours. But I think just does a really good job in that volume we covered of introducing this entire world of vampires, just like the lore and societal structure of how they're like hidden society works. It introduces the main characters effectively as individuals and as a couple. You know, it has a really solid supporting cast from moment one and just does a good job really just setting the table and making it a series that made me instantly want volume two. So just like a really strong start. And yeah, those are my free. I mean, the fact that I enjoyed Fangs when it is very much not aimed at me, I am not the target audience. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah. It's not just hot gay porn. There's also very... Vampire angst. Yeah, very poignant vampire angst. And maybe more importantly, a giant tortoise. It sounds like all those Anne Rice novels I've never read. I've not read them either. But yeah, out of the things I didn't pick, Rachel Pollock was like the closest to me picking. So unless you've changed your mind or want to argue out a different thing, I would be fine with giving to the win to Rachel Pollock because, you know, you nominated her. She was very close to my list. So, you know, she was like at the top of mind for both of us. I think she's a great consensus point that deserves it. Yeah, I, I mean, the thing about my picks is I was like Rachel Pollock, and then I was like, Almost everything else that I've picked for this podcast, or, like, when I think about it, I think of the art more than anything else. And so, yeah, I mean, Rachel Pollock wins. Yeah. I'm gonna call it Best Writer Rachel Pollock. Yeah, and just to, like, give her a little bit, just more moments of props and everything, like, everything you said, I'll just echo again, like, it's, it manages to have so much going on conceptually with just like the big ideas of 
like the gods and the war between stability and change and everything that it sets up and how well it does like introducing all of these plot elements while maintaining like excellent character writing wonderful job selling the characters personalities it's like in the middle of her run on the title but you can just read that story on its own and it's still excellent and you won't feel like you're missing anything because she's just that skilled at always giving you exactly what you need and it's just great yeah i think it is deserving yeah everyone should read her doom patrol run now that you know you can so yeah yeah plus it features the first trans superhero ever and there's still like maybe four of those five now thanks to dc comics basically yeah Moving on then to the next category is oh, going to be <laughs> going to be probably less easy and immediate in crowning a winner. We have Best Artist. I have nominated, once again, Billy Bolly Bolly for their work on Fangs, both the writer and the artist. In addition to all of the great things I said before in the writer category... Honestly, a lot of what I said there applies to Best Artist, too, because a lot of the characterization is in just, like, the excellent character rendering, the facial expressions, the body language. Fashion in that book is good. The fashion is so good and is so memorable, and I love it, and I love good fashion in comics. And on the erotica side, it's hot. It's successful. Beyond that, I nominated Ray Fox for Underwinter. Just the beautiful, lovely, and horrifying watercolor work. The art of that bird in particular. And also just something that looks utterly different from anything else we covered this year. And my third and final nominee is Yoshihiro Tagashi for Hunter Hunter. Because I just love his style. And it's so fun. And I love both like the expressive, humorous cartooning and also... Like, all of the imaginative, made-up, like, fantasy animal designs. I think he has a good eye for action all around. It's just, like, fun to look at perpetually. Meanwhile, I went insane. I tried paring this list down, and I, I just... They they all noted at least mentioning, in my opinion here. Uh, so my first nominee is Ted McKeever, uh, who drew Doom Patrol. Um, uh, everything we said about... Rachel Pollock does make that book great, but McKeever's art is what made that run solidify into something truly special. There are other arcs that she wrote for that book that are like just as well written earlier on of other artists, and it's the combination of the two of them. It's so good. The um, I mean, we talked about it. It's almost impressionistic style that he draws with, um, and the like geometric aspects of it, and the way he does the pan his panel layouts in a way that looks really disorganized, but it's still really well designed for leading the eye. Fabulous. Um, very me option. Ron Turner, uh, the third artist on the TV21 Dalek comics that we talk about, talked about. Um, so the like ones that are very colorful towards the end, that's mostly for like the wild designs of the Daleks themselves that are very different from the ones on the show that have been like, redesigned for him all of their cool spaceships all of the really cool drawings of the flowers and our favorite art from that series it just all looks really good and really colorful and really bright 
I've been working very slowly on creating an animation in his style because I'm obsessed with it, so I had to nominate him. Jay Lee for Dark Tower. We didn't like the writing on that book so much. It was fine, but it wasn't anything special. But man, does it look really fucking cool. There are a lot of really arresting pages in that book, yeah. The design work on some of the more fantasy elements is really great. Jay Lee always draws everyone to look like a weird vampire person in just the best fucking way. Um, and, like, it's his art that stops it looking like a western and brings it more into the fantasy space it needs to occupy in order to pull off its tone. And, like, that's the reason I have that omnibus, is because I wanted to look at the Jay Lee art. Uh, still going, John Romita Jr. on the Spider-Man arc we covered at the beginning of the year, the, um... Shafra arc. The Shafra arc, because it's John Romita Jr. on Spider-Man, which is... My fucking childhood right there, frankly. I I don't know about you, but for me personally, my favorite Spider-Man artist, period. Yeah, I... God, yeah, he's up there. I think he's great at Spider-Man, and then he's really great at, like, Kirby characters. But he's so good on Spider-Man is almost weird to me, because he seems so much more Kirby than he's like his dad, who is obviously one of the classic Spider-Man artists. In terms of, like, the blockier aspects. He's more like the stylized later years Kirby. But his stuff just looks so good every time he does Spider-Man. His stuff right now is great. I know people keep making fun of it, but just, like, no, it's good. It's stylized, everyone. It's, like, he's really fucking good at this. Yeah, I remember, like, seeing people just, like, react negatively when, like, he did just, like, the cover or something and, like, the teasing promo for, like, an X-Men mini, maybe it was that, like, Trial of Magneto, something yeah, or other. Yeah, Trial of Magneto, because he had, like, the, the big hands. It was a bit more Frank Miller than he normally goes. Yeah, but I was still just like, this is John Romita Jr. It's great. It's comics. I love it. Um, and, like, the character design on Shaffer in that arc is also really good. Something that's always stuck in my memory since I read that. Back when, uh, that first Spider-Man movie came out is when I read that comic. And, like, the use of digital coloring as well which isn't Ramita and unfortunately I didn't think to go back and look that up but there's some digital coloring effects with her and like the way that she's colored that also really helps with that and then finally finally my final nominee because I just want to bring all these people up Itaro Kinoshita on Dinosaur Sanctuary nominating one of your picks although really it was a pick that you picked for me it was my pick and name only the dinosaurs in that fucking book are so fucking great volume two just came out and they just continue to look fucking flawless so much effort goes into the research in everything including how they move how they sit so much time and effort's put in and they look so great there's also some people there yeah the dinosaurs are amazing not that the people are bad, to be clear, but it's just the dinosaurs are the draw. Yeah, like, the people, it, as I said, I think I said to you earlier, it reads to me, the people, when I look at them, like, that is what I expect most manga to look like. And then I look at the dinosaurs and I go, holy shit! Yeah. <laughs> Which is not like saying that the stuff with the people is ever bad. It's just, like, it's, like, essentially Marvel House style, but manga. Um, okay, so where do we start? I do want to say that I'm shocked between the two of us and how much we love painted books. We only did one painted book this year. 
Was that the only one? I guess it probably was the only one. Yeah, because if it wasn't, then they would be on this list. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't list Underwinter because you already had. Yeah. This time next year, I'll have probably picked a John Moove book for us to talk about and inevitably be nominated. Well, actually, the Dalek comics were painted. There we go. There's two. There's two. They're both nominated, so that kind of proves my point. Yeah. I think... I guess... Tell me if you think differently, but I think our main consensuses are probably on Ray Fox, Ted McKeever, and John Romita Jr. Yeah. Which... I'm clear. I think Hunter Hunter had some amazing designs in it. Yeah, it's... Like, your picks are also great. The problem is too many good fucking artists. The thing is that we picked almost nothing all year that even had just decent art, much less bad art. Like, we picked just great shit i wasn't expecting to be this art driven in my picks but then i look back and i'm like oh no i really am very art driven even though i'm like normally following writers around yeah i think that i personally am leaning towards john ramita jr what do you think that's fair as i said that's my childhood i can't say a bad word about john ramita jr drawing spider-man yeah it's like like every aspect of that story works like every aspect visually like his take on spider-man i love the physicality of it you know like the way that his spider-man is like leaner and more fluid than a lot of his usual comparatively blockier non-pejoratively blockier um characters just like love the way he renders spider-man's movements it makes the character feel really unique I think his moments out of costume are also always good for depicting the characters and characterizing them. I think he has just excellent fundamentals in basically every way. You know, the action's always really clear to follow. Any splash pages are always awesome. I think it's John Romita Jr. for me. That whole sequence where Spider-Man loses control of his mystical spider-ness while fighting Shafra and makes that big web in the middle of, like, New York City and is, like, smashing away at her. Yeah, okay. John Romita Jr. wins. We yeah. gotta do more JRJR. Yeah, love John Romita Jr. Always. We'll do another arc so he can win again next year. Literally. <laughs> see, now, this is the first award, so next year we'll see who becomes the, like multi-time heavyweight <laughs> constant winners but for now jr jr takes his first win well and i can do another rachel pollock doom patrol and then that's sorted <laughs> yeah all right so now we have it's a bit of a unique one it's best franchise slash series and the way we've defined it is something that we have pulled multiple episodes from yeah any franchise or series that we did at least two episodes from sometimes we, more than that yeah sometimes more than that we decided to not count marvel or dc as that franchise because there's a reason they're called the big two they kind of dominate a lot of the western comics sphere so we're talking specific characters or like lines so like x-men would be like if we pick new mutants and x-men that's still x-men yeah we're just gonna list out everything that's eligible because there's not actually that many but the characters and series that qualify are Requiem of the Rose King, X-Men, Spider-Man, Animorphs, Bionicle, Doctor Who, and Superman. 
Well, we can throw Bionicle off the list. That second arc just was not it. Yeah, like, it just... Bionicle looked great the whole time, but it can go... I can't bring myself to do it, but if you want to throw Doctor Who off the list, you can. I will say we can cut out Doctor Who. That second arc in particular wasn't bad. It just wasn't at the same level as the other things we're talking about in comparison. Superman, we did the Tim Sale, the Darwin Cook written Tim Sale drawn arc. And then... The Golden Age the issues. The Golden Age issues. Which I really love that we did, and I'm glad we did, because I do want to cover things across time historically and not just be entirely contemporary. So I thought they were really interesting. It was a great episode, but I feel like we can drop Superman. Yeah, like, it was interesting, but by modern standards, they weren't actually that good. The and Tim Sale was great. Yeah, but Tim Sale, Don Cook, Kryptonite's really good. People should read that. It's definitely, like, up there for Superman stories, but we didn't cover anything I think that I just would, like, rave about a lot for him. Yeah, so that leaves... I'm fine. It was my pick, but compared to the others, I would be fine to drop Animorphs, just comparatively speaking. Oh, see, I was gonna say Animorphs is, like, the most consistently good. Well, actually... That's a good point, actually, because the thing with X-Men and Spider-Man is I'm thinking of the highs. Spider-Man we're dropping because of Sin's past, because we're thinking specifically the things we covered. Yeah, I guess in terms of consistency, yeah. Animals, like, both of the, what we covered were really good. Spider-Man, yeah, one of our best artist picks is in there, but also we covered Sin's past, which was, like, a purposeful hate read on my part, which... I think resulted in one of our best episodes, but also, like, I can't give it to Spider-Man anyway, so I feel like we can just drop it at the running. So that leaves Animorphs, X-Men, and Requiem. Animorphs is real consistent, Requiem was real consistent, because that's one and two in a series. X-Men, I think X-Men 4 is so good, I feel like you could, well, and then Cena Grace is Iceman as well. Yeah, the thing with X-Men is... It's both of our personal favorite, like, superhero thing. It's both of our personal favorite, and none of the ones we picked were bad. You yeah. know, like, all of the X-Men we covered was at least decent, I would even say good. There wasn't a Sins Past to really drop it down. I can't think of a Sins Past equivalent for X-Men that isn't just, like, really racist and fatphobic, by which I mean that one new mutant sock we complained about last episode. Yeah. That's the closest that X-Men's really ever, I guess, Onslaught, maybe, but I've not read that yet. House of M. House of M is the sins past of X-Men. There we go. And it doesn't really, it's not really an X-Men story. It's probably Deadly Genesis that has the oh, retcon aspect. you're right. Yeah, it is Deadly Genesis, isn't it? Yeah. Or at least that's just making Charles Xavier shittier, which is like almost difficult to do at this point. Yeah. It's almost impressive. Yeah, and like with X-Men, we got to cover a lot of variety of stuff of... We did classic stuff with Giant Size and with um, uh, Days the of Sauron Future Past. Well. Yeah, and the Sauron. And we also did, like, fun solo series and group books and just kind of got a good variety. I think we can probably just give it to X-Men. Yeah, yeah. Just because, like, Wreck and Vos Green and Animals, they are both really good, but that's because we essentially covered two of the same thing. Yeah. Because like... they're literally part one and part two in both cases. Yeah, it's, like, not really a franchise. It just is an ongoing series. It's sort of a different thing. Um, so, okay. Yep, X-Men was the best franchise that we covered 
multiple times. Six times. Six. Jesus Christ. Yeah, you're right. Our first episode of the season, a theme month in the middle of it, and the last episode of the season, it bookmarked our first year, was X-Men all around. Should we do that consistently? Maybe if I can think of what X-Men I would want to do by the time we finish recording and I have to get, assign <laughs> you. We may or may not, but it felt appropriate at least for year one. Because I could absolutely finish it. I mean, easily. I I've been reading every single one ever, and I'm in the middle of the 90s there's so many x-men books i would like happily pick yeah i'll try and find a since past equivalent to finish out the next season if you pick an x-men we'll read deadly genesis to finish out the season maybe there won't be a season to finish out <laughs> <laughs> um, um i guess i by default should introduce this next category go ahead this is your wheelhouse this is your culture best cheesecake so that is best drawings of the ladies. Yeah. As we... someone who's never been moved by cheesecake and generally just kind of finds it vaguely annoying. <laughs> this is a category that exists mostly to offset the next one, but... Mostly to offset my actual lusts <laughs> in the next category. Um, so I'll go have my nominations. Uh, Mary Jane in the Inferno Spider-Man issues very specifically her in that um slightly suspect egyptian outfit that luckily looks a lot less egyptian once all the jewelry starts trying to kill her and she takes it out with a fire axe while in a dress with like a slit side of her leg sticking out as drawn by todd mcfarlane with just like the huge early 90s hair that was pretty good and that like another spider-man comic that had a huge impression on kid me the perez wonder woman Mostly for how uncheesecakey it was. Wonder Woman is in the classic Wonder Woman like swimsuit outfit, and he resists the desire to make it not look like she's just a cool, powerful superhero. He doesn't do ass shots or any of the like sleazy stuff that you frequently see with even Wonder Woman in that relatively tame outfit. Never mind what you get in a lot of other comics. So I guess this is a nomination by default. Exclusion. Yeah, but like. <laughs> I had already so overstuffed my best artist, I didn't mention George fucking Perez in that when we covered the Perez comic. So, gotta mention, it was real good art. Yeah, George Perez deserves being mentioned today, yeah. And then the Medusa wearing lingerie sequence in FF, uh, as drawn by Mike Allred, mostly because I was like, when did we actually see a woman in a, like, sexy outfit quote unquote that wasn't just a superhero costume and i was like oh yeah there is that scene where medusa fights a giant monster and teams up with the rest of the ff while wearing the lingerie that she sleeps in and that she wore in bed and rung a bell for service when her servants weren't there which absolutely uh magnificent that was really funny i like that book yeah <laughs> yeah and your nominees which one of them is one that I you stole from me. I would have picked this, but you grabbed it, so. So my highly qualified nominees from my expert tastes are the Golden Age Lois Lane, because she's basically <laughs> the most ridiculous pick I could have possibly made because she is two squiggles on the page. There's not a lot of women there. She is two squiggles, um based on a model that the artist had a thing for well there's that at least there there's a little history there and married the writer oh 
Uh, there's a really great nursing video about it, but everyone should watch, actually. So, there you go. Okay. There's a YouTube recommendation for you. My second sexy pick is Destiny from Days of Future Past. Um, listeners, if you haven't read it, don't know what Destiny looks like, Google Destiny X-Men. The fiercest fucking outfits from this literal senior, senior, senior citizen woman who always has those gams out while wearing the most dramatic mask and has a cape. She is an ancient old lady, and when we say old lady, we mean she was literally around for Sherlock Holmes stories, because her wife is Sherlock Holmes, and that's when they met. Yeah, this is Mystique's wife. Um, and she wears this outfit that covers her entire body, except for her legs, which are always out and weirdly look fabulous. They look a good 80 years younger than the rest of her. Not a varicose vein in sight. It's astonishing. Um, that would have been on my list of picks if you hadn't already picked it, by the way, if you couldn't tell from my enthusiasm for it. <laughs> it's just so funny and cool. Yeah. My last pick is a minor character from Fangs. Uh, her name is Mariko. She was the cafe worker who the main couple meets when they go to a little vampire support club at a cafe, and she is the human wife to their vampire friend. And she's cool. She's nice. So those are my picks, but... She wears a complete outfit. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly it was just, oh, that's a female character I remember really liking. There we go. <laughs> Choosing the winner is entirely on you. So my real question is, do we go for Destiny for just the hilarity of how good those legs look because john byrne is now drawing a superhero character and then when she's not in that outfit he's drawing like an old lady or do we go with inferno mary jane from those spider-man issues which is like a thing i actually remember reading as a kid and stood out to me back then i will leave it up to you with however humorous or sincere you want to be <laughs> I mean, the sincere is barely there, to be honest. I, mean, you know, I don't want to give Todd McFarlane... Oh, but then we're giving John Byrne an award. Oh, for God's sake. We're John Byrne's probably not going to win, if that makes you feel better. Well, he'd win for Cheesecake. Wait, Cheesecake? He wrote Days of Future Past. Oh, he would be winning that. Oh. Well, he drew I Days was thinking Past. ahead to the beefcake, but... Oh, yeah. I mean, he's... We wound up as with a... Cheesecake options being between two artists who are just like terrible people you know what todd mcfarlane is i think slightly less worse than john byrne so i'm gonna pick mary jane and to be fair as we said these are the no prizes so whoever we reward they're not actually getting shit so it's okay i would say that they're getting an air high five but todd mcfarlane's not getting an air high five from me so he's simply getting a historical acknowledgement yes yes uh 90s Todd McFarlane is getting an air high five from me, who hadn't been, like, weird and sexist. Congratulations in public. to Mary Jane Watson. That I know of. Mary Jane Watson. You know, here's the thing, Mary Jane looks hot no matter who fucking draws her. So really, this is an award for Mary Jane. Yeah, and that's fine. On to yours. So, the best beefcake category, which is the reason the cheesecake one was also brought on here for equality purposes... We have to objectify everyone. I'll go ahead and let you do yours first. 
Tell me what men you found erotically charged. So I have a joke pick, a by default pick, and then a genuine pick. I think they're all a little bit of a joke pick. I I, I mean, so far as I am aware, and also accepting the things you had already picked, because you picked for this category first. I'll go over the absolutely outrageous one. Masura the Triceratops. I said I had to get at least three, and I was like, that is a boy who I liked looking at. That is, that is the spirit of the category. In Dinosaur Sanctuary, a boy I liked looking at was the adorable Triceratops who sits like a cat sitting like a loaf of bread. Brilliant. Um, the bird thing in Underwinter is in here by default because it is the closest thing we have to a naked man that isn't in Void that you hadn't already nominated in some way. That birdcock was very memorable. It was a memorable birdcock. And I was not going to nominate anyone in Void because I didn't feel okay seeing any of their genitalia. So, go back and listen to that episode. I wouldn't want to get into it. Um, and then finally, Lenel, uh, Francis Lennel used Cyclops in the X-Men issues. He is an artist who does focus on the butt. But he does it for literally everyone he draws, so I think that's okay. And also, sometimes there's just a lot of detail on the lips, too, in a way that just feels kind of like, oh, you you really were really owning in on those lips. This is Cyclops now in an open marriage that is also a thruple. I feel like that is at least sexier than any previous Cyclops. It's up there, yeah. And we get a lot of shots of his ass, which is, for someone named Slim Summers, very full. Yeah. Now, this is the category that was for me as best artist was for you. We're trying to narrow it down to free would feel incomplete. So I'll just go ahead and list off more than that because there aren't any rules that actually matter. My nominees are in from Fangs, the main character of Fangs, which all of the men in Fangs are beautiful. That's the point. You could have just nominated Fangs. Yeah, like, it is gay porn, but in order to stick to just, like, one specific character nominee, I'm gonna go with N. Um, Angel, Warren Warvington, I'm nominating both the John Byrne and the Neil Adams renditions on Angel from the 60s X-Men and from Days of Future Past. I am nominating Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man, so he gets both Peter and MJ on this. I'm nominating his Spider-Man specifically for his dump truck ass that his Spider-Man always has when he's hanging off of a wall and has the most gigantic ass in all of New York. And this isn't traditional beefcake in the sense of actually being beefy, but just a really memorable male love interest character. I'm also nominating Henry from Requiem of the Rose King. And yeah. Oh, yeah. on, on the John Byrne subject, did you know that he actually blames the Incas for emphasizing the chest hair too much and making those men, um, if I remember correctly, he actually did say too much word I'm not gonna say, because I'm not allowed to say it, and neither is, to my knowledge, John Byrne. Faggy? Yep. So, we can't even really credit Byrne with making Angel so hot. It's the Incas. He doesn't want to take the credit. <laughs> Which, like... For God's sake, you think he would take the win, because a lot of people comment on that. Also, the inker can only do so much in terms of that butt. There was a certain amount of the butt there already. Yeah, I'm just like, you know, I, I feel like, yeah, I, it's, 
everyone in superhero comics tends to be attractive anyway because it's the power fantasy thing. You don't draw characters who aren't, like, traditionally very attractive in superhero comics pretty much ever. But, like, no, those were still... That angel is memorable enough, but I think, again, we can kick Burn out of this race. <laughs> yeah, Burn was never gonna win. Um, we can drop all of my nominees, that's fine by me. Yeah, um... I actually would have nominated Henry if you hadn't. Yeah, I'm gonna say Spider-Man doesn't win because I I don't find the Peter Parker attractive. It's literally only the Spider-Man ass. <laughs> so he loses... <laughs> And I'm gonna cut out both of the angels just because they have comparatively less page time than the other nominees, so there's less time for them to be hot on panel. We didn't even cover the, like, big angel page in Days of, uh, in Dark Phoenix. We covered Days of Future Past, which he's barely in, so. Exactly, yeah. And then, like, ditto with the Neil Adams story we did. He's in it, but there's not actually that much beefcake there. Mm. I mean, depends on what you think of Carl Lycos. I don't think of Carl Lycos, not in that way. Oh, not not the eyebrows? Not uh, doing it for you? No, uh, not yeah. whatsoever. That's fair. <laughs> so, while I love Henry as a character, I'm gonna stick to the actual beefcake of it all and say that the hottest man we covered was in fact the one in the actual porn who got to be hot on panel more than any of the other nominees, so it goes to In and Fangs. Yeah. Yeah. Moving on to a less sexy, but still very important category. This one is so our podcast. How this became a recurring theme, I don't know, but it just is now. One of the most recurrent themes of the year is embodied in the question of who had the best rendering of a horse? We covered so many horses. Now, like with the best series, we're just going to list off all the examples we could think of that fit. And we're probably missing a couple of cases where I'm sure there are a few where, like, there were horses in a background panel at some point. But the memorable horses, we have Ryoichi Ikigami's horses and Strain, Chris Grind's Animorphing horses and Animorphs, Ayakano's Requiem of the Rose King, Steve Ditko for Doctor Strange, specifically that nightmare horse that Nightmare rides in on, Jay Lee's work in the Dark Tower, and John Severin's horses from the Rawhide Kid. I believe there are also some horses in George Perez's Wonder Woman, and like I said, we might be forgetting a couple, but these are the really notable ones. Oh yeah, like on Paradise Island. I'm sure if we went back and looked, you'd be like, oh, that's a nice horse, because it's a George Perez horse. Yeah. Um, alright, so we nominated Jay Lee because I was literally like, it is a western, there must have been horses, but I don't have any particularly strong horse images in my mind when I think of it, so I feel like we can cut Dark Tower. I'm fine with that, and I think we can also cut the Steve Ditko just because it's there for like two panels. Okay, Strain doesn't have any real horses on panel that I can remember, it's all the drawings of a drawing of a horse. I suppose that's fair if you want to count that against it. I suppose that's a point. Yeah. I think I know who I want to say should win. Who are you thinking? I'm thinking Chris Grine for Animorphs. I'm thinking either Chris Grine or John Severin are the top two to me. Severin's really good. I'm thinking, though, because, like, the transformation sequences in Animorphs, and we have that really great moment where you would remember her name, but I can't right now, is turning into a horse on panel, and we get, like, all those half- 
horse half girl shots and we have the horse emoting it's cassie cassie like that for me pushes it ahead of like anyone else drawing a horse because it's doing multiple things with the horse yeah like we get straight up horse and we also get body horror and we weirdly did not make a body horror category but I guess we already would we would be nominating almost all of these same people again for that. And also Chris Grime would win. Yeah. Um yeah, part of me it pains me not to be rewarding Rawhide Kid more than we are, but I think that Chris Grine is a fair pick. I'm fine of saying Chris Grine wins. I think you have good enough reasoning. But John Severin also gets an air high five from us. Yeah, for John Severin and Ron Zimmerman. And everything about Rawhide Kid gets air high fives, even if it doesn't actually win a category today. Like, it, it, did you, you did you nominate Severin for art? You didn't. I didn't, which was just... Trying to keep the nominees down, and then I went insane? Yeah, like, if I expanded my list a bit, Severin would have been up there. It's like, whenever yeah. I didn't... Rec- anytime I didn't pick Rawhide Kid, it was probably at least, like, close to getting there. Um, so, yeah, this well-deserved air high-five. To Chris Grine for horse morphing. Enjoy your no-prize, Chris. Yeah. Uh, our next category is another unexpected theme of the podcast, but I guess considering we are covering cape shit a lot, because we're covering comics, the most dramatic cape award would wind up happening. Do you want to do your nominees first? Sure. So I said Liam Sharp for his work with Batman and Batman Reptilian. Batman was also the subject of my second pick, Howard Porter, for his rendition of Batman and JLA. And then I also nominate Todd McFarlane, who, even if he doesn't win every category, at least is a frequent nominee on Art Tonight, and I'm specifically thinking of Mysterio's cape. Somewhat hilariously, because you did specific characters, I felt justified in doing this, I nominated Todd McFarlane for his renditions of Hobgoblin in that same series of issues of Spider-Man, who also has an incredibly dramatic cape. Um, also, we, ha- we covered Doctor Strange, and Steve Ditko's Doctor Strange has a great cape. And then finally, I actually had to ask you if this counted as a cape, but Storm in Giant Size X-Men is wearing her classic Storm outfit. And it has that thing, flap of fabric that like comes from her back and goes out to her hands and like billows dramatically. And I was like, that also, that also is good. Yeah, it is good, but I think we can discount Storm from winning just because it's the sort of most like technicality one. Like yeah. the others are more classic, great cape. I think the Todd McFarlane got nominated twice, which, like, I couldn't not nominate Hobgoblin. And the distinctive capes. Hobgoblin has, like, a very tattered cape. Like, his cape is, I pulled this off of the ground a week ago kind of a cape. And then Mysterio has, like, a much cleaner line. Like, it is mostly just the way that the cape ends that's different. Yeah. But those are very cool capes. Given that we both nominated him... (laughs) We're giving another one to Todd, huh? I think probably, unless you really want to argue for one of the other artists, but... For the, the, the two Batmans, really. Yeah. Oh, Dickers Doctor Strange is real good. It is, it's just... But he only has, the stuff that we covered, he only has his really dramatic cape in the Spider-Man annual, because the first ones we covered are, like, too early on in the character. The design hadn't solidified fully yet. 
Yeah, it wasn't as dramatic as it would get. It was I the would short say. blue one rather than like the really dramatic red one with like the big collar. That big collar is really cool though. Yeah. I think I've got to give it to Todd McFarlane as like a joint award since we nominated him for two different characters. Yeah. And like if we had to pick between the two, I would say going with your hobgoblin is fine, but all around most dramatic cape artiste is most definitely Todd McFarlane taking home his second reward of the night. Todd, you won nothing twice. No prizes abound. Next category, we're going to be going into our theme months. Just basically, what was our favorite thing we picked from the theme months? So from our Marvel's Merry Mutants month, our X-Men theme month, we discussed um, the debut arc of Sauron from the 1960s X-Men we discussed the first arc of Iceman Volume 3, written by Cena Grace. We did Days of Future Past, and we did the first four issues of the Hickman and You X-Men run. So those are the four eligible for the top of those. Are you leaning any particular way? Well, so looking at, like, we, we were initially doing nominees, and they're like, there's four of them, so we'll just bring them all up. But we both listed X-Men number four. Now, the thing about that is, the other three issues that we covered in that episode are, like, still really fucking good. But they aren't, like, X-Men number four is such a standout. Whereas, like, Days of Future Past, like, both issues are equally good. The Cena Grace, all the issues are equally good. And that's definitely, like... But I think I think we maybe should just do X-Men <laughs> number four, like, the, the Hickman. Yeah, I guess it's just on what we want to do technicality-wise... In terms of like that being like a part of a pick as opposed to like the thing itself, but I don't know. It's it like was our first favorite. Issues are bad. Yeah, They're all real good issues still. Like, yeah, I think it's safe to go with the Hickman and you X Men with number four in particular cementing its spot. That's right, beating out one of the most classic X Men stories of all time. I like X Men number four better. It, it, I just do. It, that's the thing, it's building on what Days of Future Past did, but it's also, you know, building on it, so... Yeah. You can talk foundational stories all you want, but sometimes someone comes along and does something better now. Yeah. So this goes to Hickman and you. And then our second of the two theme months we did last year was Spooktober, with our nominees, aka everything that was eligible, being uh, Doctor Who, Hidden Human History... Alien, The Illustrated Story, The Dark Tower, Underwinter, and Void. We can drop the Doctor Who. We were both lukewarm on that. Yeah. I was doing that because of, like, the TV show coming up and also, like, just trying to find something good that was easy to understand. Yeah. And we can also go ahead and drop Void because while I'm very glad that we covered it... And I think it made for a great discussion of things we hadn't really dived into before. And there's a lot about it that I think is fascinating. It is also more of a mess than it is a fully successfully polished story. I think it's between Alien and Underwinter. I do too. I personally lean towards Underwinter because no matter how good Alien is at the end of the day, it's a different um format adaptation of something where the movie is always going to be the preferred version versus underwinter just is itself in its strongest form 
Yeah, it's Underwinter. It's that bird cock. Um, Alien is great. Another case where, like, Walter Simonson was nearly in that list of artists, and I was like, I was getting too fucking long. Oh, Jesus, yeah, he... <laughs> yeah, I will go ahead and say props to him, too, as another one who easily could have made the short list we just covered a lot of good shit if we'd covered any of his four then he would have been on dramatic cape and may have won it if he would covered any of his four he would have been nominated for half the things on the list that's true we should do him his four next year yeah but underwinter was just really fucking good and it was also the only pick that actually like creeped me out it admittedly was, like, weirdly geared towards the exact things that creep me out, but it's spooky month. If you creep me out, you're doing well. Yeah, it was... Yeah, I didn't even really know your personal horror things going in, so it was even more effective than I knew. I think it was also the most just, like, traditionally just straight-up horror. Because, like, Void was really just paranormal romance... Um, the Doctor Who wasn't even a scary one. I, I couldn't find a scary one starring that Doctor, so I just picked the one with a monster in it. Yeah, and then, like, Alien, you know, the movie is scarier. Like, it's a really fun comic, and it's... It's a rushed version of the movie, and horror is so much in the pacing that the horror was the thing most lost, I think, in the translation, because they have to rush it. Yeah, yeah, I think Underwinter sweeps. Yeah. Now... Pivoting away from good things, we have... Is there a more subtle way to put this, or should we just call it what we have written down here? <laughs> it, so, I think what we have written down here really applies to two of the nominees. I mean, there's one where I feel it's, like, maybe a bit harsh. Yeah. We have, basically, the Razzies... We have the Steaming Pile of Dog Shit Award. So instead of an air high five, you're getting an air kick to the nuts. Just, what was the worst thing we read all year? Almost everything we picked, we picked because we loved it. There were very few either hate reads or things that were unexpectedly bad surprises. But the ones that got shortlisted were Your Intentional Hate Read, Sins Past... Good episode, bad comic. Yeah. There was not similarly offensive, but just disappointingly boring, the second arc of Bionicle. Yeah, I had better memories of it from a kid. I We will be covering more Bionicle because I've decided that it's just a thing we're going to do on this podcast, and I apologize if any more of it is that boring. It looked nice, though, and I feel like it's a bit harsh for, for Steaming Pilot dog shit, but it's kind of in here by default because we didn't really enjoy it. It's just here by default. It's nowhere near as bad as the other two nominees. It's just, it was like the one other thing that we didn't like that we read all year. Actually, in fairness to Bionicle, I'm going to go ahead and put Void in here as well for its messiness we talked about earlier. I... At least as like a nominee that I'm doing. Yeah, like... I don't think it came together. I think it was trying to do some interesting things, but it didn't and it pushed things further than I think it should have. Sure, yeah, like... In terms of just, like, the worst of what we covered this year, you know, like, Steaming Pile, like, with Bionicle, maybe harsh. Yeah. But I can't say that you're wrong for feeling that way, you know, because it's specifically... I think for Void and for Bionicle, it's harsh, but if Bionicle's in here, I think I that it shouldn't be alone. That's fine. That's <laughs> fine. And, and it's, then... like, specifically messy with regards to sexual consent, so... Yeah. 
And then the final nominee is something that we read a whopping four pages of because it wasn't a full episode of its own. It was just one of the series featured in Pulp. But the final nominee is Heartbroken Angels from Pulp, which was a total of four pages. That we spent ten minutes ranting about how much we hated every single second of it. And I think those four pages were easily the worst comics we read all year. And I think the fact that there was so little of it and it's such a strong contender regardless kind of says it all. I really hate Since Past. There were things I said nice things about Since Past in that episode. There wasn't very much, but there was, I had something pleasant to say about like a tiny little, little tiny little bit of it. There was simply nothing good in Heartbroken Angels. Um, for context, everyone, this was uh, four pages of a series of four panel joke comics that all were like really, really bad jokes about sex that were really, really bad and just not funny. None of them were funny and all of them were like gross. Not funny. All the worst of straight culture on display. Both badly executed humor and also just kind of made me feel worse about being a human and inhabiting the world of other humans. So yeah, fuck up, Broken Angels, steaming pile of dog shit it is. And honestly, in the years to come, it might become a question of, oh, is this the worst thing we've ever covered? No, that still goes to last year's Heartbroken Angels. Yeah, because we, we, like, I'm planning on maybe doing another hate pick at some point, just because, like, if there's something that I feel the need to spend an hour ranting about how much I dislike it, but, like, I'm only going to do it if I think it's still interesting to talk about. And Heartbroken Angels just, like, isn't even interesting to talk about. It's just horrible, base, shit, straight sex comedy. Yeah. And, and there's no, there's nothing. It's just that. And yeah. it's not funny. If it was funny, I would give it a pass. If one of the jokes had landed. One. In, like, the 16 that were there. None of them landed. But that leads us in the opposite direction... The two last categories of the night, rather than just having an overall best pick, we're going to have two. One being your best pick, the other being mine, and them not being both of us voting, but rather each of us just choosing what we most like that the other made us read. So if you, I guess, do you want to do your favorite of mine first or my favorite of yours first? I'll go first. I'm actually going to nominate... I, I, we both listed three, but I'm going to nominate a fourth because I thought about it and it deserves to be on there. Um, so my first word pick for like my nominees is Iceman, the Cena Grace run that we did. As I said, I wound up reading the rest of the Cena Grace written Iceman stuff. I thought it was really good. I mean, it was just like, it was just a very like readable comic that made you want to read more in like the good way that a good run of comics does. Um, Animorphs. That Chris Grinart's real great. Again, like, I had already listed way too many artists, but it was really good, and the story was great. And, again, compelling. We'll be continuing that series. I think they were really good. And then, finally, Requiem of the Rose King as my third, like, nominee that I'm actually going to pick from. I love it. I love it very much, and I'm glad you also enjoyed it. Like, that's the one that I'm just adding just now, because I'm thinking about it. I'm like, no, that is really fucking good. 
And then finally, Dinosaur Sanctuary, which is your pick and name only. Was literally a present for you. Was literally a present for me. Because otherwise, I didn't know this existed. If I know this existed, I would have picked it. In fact, my next pick is Dinosaur Sanctuary Volume 2. That's right, you're getting another one of me ranting about dinosaurs. So I kind of feel like by default I can't make that my favorite pick. <laughs> I mean, I think it... I don't it, know. It qualifies, but I'm still not going to do it. I think I'm going to go with Iceman. Just because, again, I did wind up just reading it all immediately. Now, part of that is I could just hit next issue on Marvel Unlimited. But I really liked it. Yeah. I, I love Iceman. I love that series. I have... I'm following Cena Grace to doing... Uh, he's doing a new Superman book soon. I'll be reading the hell out of that because I read Iceman. Yeah. I am surprised you're, you're not going with dinosaurs, but yeah. But dinosaurs is essentially my pick. You picked that for me. I... I don't aim my picks at you. I just pick things that I think I could talk about for an hour and hope you can too. So I can't count that. Yeah, yeah. I love Iceman. That was I your can't episode and that. I didn't shut up the whole time because it was <laughs> dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, I love Iceman. I have two pieces of original art from it. It's great. Just easily my favorite take on the character. No argument from me. Yeah, the stuff that I've read with him since then, like, Krakoa, the the Iceman is weirdly the one place where I feel like Krakoa has actually not made a character better than they were right before Krakoa. Like, literally the only one. Yeah. I guess then pivoting into the best you pick is nominated by me. What did I nominate that was really fucking good? My top three that I picked out from you are... The Life and Death of Spiders, that Shafra arc of Amazing Spider-Man by Straczynski and John Romita Jr. Uh, Doom Patrol, the arc that we discussed earlier by McKeever and Pollock. The Tiresias War. Yeah, the Tiresias War. And I'll say my third pick of yours. I'm going to go ahead and change out what I was thinking earlier and swap in and say my third of yours that I'll cite is Karma and Love from last week. Nice. I'm peeking right at the end. Look at that. The very, literally from the very beginning and the very end, the recency and the first bias is fully here. <laughs> but I... Well, I think Spiders wasn't my first pick. Second. It was so my still second pick. the very beginning of the my show. My first pick was Doctor Who, a TV show you hadn't watched back then and you've only seen three episodes of by now. Yeah. While for me, while I like Karma, it's not actually a contender here for me compared to the other two. Fair. It is fully between the Shafra story and Doom Patrol, which are both very high contenders for it. But I think... That it has to be Doom Patrol. I think ultimately it just has to be Doom Patrol. I don't think that it's really a competition. I think McKeever and Pollock just sort of slam dunk the fuck out of it. So it's the Teresius War. Yeah, that's the one I would have picked out of those as well. <laughs> if I was picking my best pick of the year, I also would have picked Doom Patrol. Yeah. So I guess in summation... The award winners for the first ever Longbox No Prizes, who will be receiving no prizes, are Rachel Pollock for Best Writer for her work on Doom Patrol, 
Best Artist was John Romita Jr. for his work on Amazing Spider-Man. X-Men was the best franchise. Best Cheesecake and Best Beefcake went to Mary Jane as illustrated by Todd McFarlane and In From Fangs as illustrated by Billy Bolly Bolly. The Best Rendering of a Horse goes to Chris Grine and Animorphs. The most dramatic cape artwork goes to Todd McFarlane for his work on Hobgoblin and Mysterio. The best of the X-Men month picks goes to the U and Hickman X-Men, especially for X-Men number four. Best spooky pick was Underwinter. Worst thing we read all year by far was Heartbroken Angels. And then our dual picks for best pick of the year go to Iceman and Doom Patrol The Tiresias War. So let's see. Who all doubled up? Was it just Rachel Pollock who took two as best writer and one of the creators for the best story? McFarlane also doubled up. Oh yes, Todd McFarlane and Rachel Pollock managed two. <laughs> one of those people we respect much more than the other. I mean, McKeever nearly doubled up for artist. He was in on like final two picks. McKeever was also a very high contender multiple times, as was John Romita Jr. I mean, honestly... Could we have nominated... I did this list too long ago. I should have nominated Robot Man for Beefcake. Specifically his redesign in that arc. It was a nice redesign. Because we, we even noted how much more masculine the read... Yeah. Anyway, that was the no prizes. Yeah. Mostly we read good things. We... And none of you guys got prizes. Yep. There is no prestige here. None whatsoever. But... I hope I speak for both of us in saying I enjoyed doing this all year, and it was a nice, fun thing to do to distract from the crippling sadness of being alive. <laughs> I'm very much looking forward to the award show next year, where Heartbroken Angels, even though we won't have read anymore, will just once again win a steaming pile of dog shit. The Legacy Award? <laughs> <laughs> I'll be like, there's one new book for this, probably. I know, we'll see how more Bionicle goes. We may just have to mention that it wasn't good again. I hope not, though. I hope that Bionicle shoots up. Yeah. In the meantime, though, that wraps up our first year of discussions, meaning it's time to kick things off into year two, and... Did you think of an X-Men book? If it's cool with you, I'm gonna go off a non-X-Men, because I've been thinking about one That's anyway. That's fair. And we're gonna have X-Men month in, like, two months anyway. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, because of the way that we've wound up um scheduled out yeah yeah so for our second year our first discussion is going to be a volume one of june mayuzuki's manga kowloon generic romance this is published by in press and yeah kowloon generic romance we are going to be kicking things off with a romance manga i want to cover more romance this year so we're gonna jump right to it I'll be sure to cover more of the uh, un Love Unlimited Infinity comic. <laughs> the Deadpool arc, maybe? God, no. I'm not doing that to myself. That I read the Ms. Marvel arc and the Hulkling and Wiccan arcs of that, and they were both, like, fine. Maybe I won't pick any more of it. Hey, uh, that's a woman. Is that a woman? Oh, yeah, yeah. I guess I that you didn't realize. I'm actually having you read a straight romance. My God. Do you feel seen? 
enjoy it while you can. You're not going to get any more straight books out of me. I was going to say, this is this is the one for the... This is the equivalent of the uh, Dinosaur Sanctuary from last year's picks. Um, except it is just a romance. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, this is quite recent, so... Anyone who's actually interested in reading along, you shouldn't have any trouble finding it. Most Barnes and Nobles and such will still have it in stock, and if they don't, you can easily find it online. But yeah, Volume 1, Kowloon Generic Romance. See you then, thank you for listening, and bye. Bye, everyone. Chris, Chris, and Eric, 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 Eric. Oh, 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 and-